This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, international outrage grows as Vladimir Putin's brutal assault on Ukraine ramps up with increasingly barbaric attacks on civilians. Russian forces continue to struggle in their effort to take over the capital city of Kyiv, and Ukrainians persevere despite devastation and ruin in their homeland. We'll speak with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin about the new weapons the U.S. is sending Ukraine and the delicate diplomatic dance to arm them. And after President Biden warns Chinese President Xi not to help Russia with their invasion, Chinese ambassador to the U.S. Qin Gong will speak with us exclusively. Ukraine's ambassador Oksana Markarova will also join us and we'll have a rare Sunday interview with Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Finally, we'll check in with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There is no end in sight, no off-ramp for the Russians and seemingly no serious movement in negotiations for a ceasefire in the now 25 days long war in Ukraine. As we come on the air, the scenes of death and devastation in the port city of Mariupol are abhorrent and the city is on the verge of being completely under Russian control. We've got a lot to get to today. We want to begin with the latest news from Ukraine. And we'd like to warn you, some of the images you will see in this broadcast could be disturbing. Charlie Daggett has been in Ukraine since before the Russians invaded, and he reports today from Kyiv. Charlie? Good morning, Margaret. The horrific situation unfolding in Mariupol took an even darker turn this morning. Ukrainian officials have accused Russian forces of bombing a school where hundreds were taking shelter and now claim residents are being forcibly taken to Russia. They lie where they died. So many bodies all over Mariupol, some buried right on the spot. Drone footage reveals the extraordinary destruction after weeks of relentless bombing, whole neighborhoods in ruins in what human rights groups describe as a catastrophe. City council officials say Russian soldiers are forcibly deporting several thousand residents to Russian territory, like this refugee center in the Russian port city of Taganrog. Resident Lyudmila Slivka said they didn't have much choice. The Russian soldiers gave us 10 minutes, saying, if you want to live, go. Her husband, Victor, said the whole of Mariupol is gone. There's nothing left alive in there. 
In a late-night address, President Vladimir Zelensky condemned Russia's constant bombardment, saying the terror inflicted onto this peaceful city will be remembered for centuries. Hospitals have been overwhelmed with exhausted medics unable to keep up with the amount of civilian casualties coming through the doors. The civilian death toll is mounting as fighting rages in multiple regions across Ukraine. On the outskirts of Kyiv, Ukrainian troops are stuck in a brutal back-and-forth battle to keep the Russian offensive at bay. The capital's defense systems have intercepted some incoming missiles, but others have struck right in the heart of the city. Intentionally targeting civilians or not doing enough to protect them constitutes a war crime. And in this residential neighborhood in the capital and other cities, there's plenty of growing evidence. As Russia has stepped up its air campaign, the Russian Defense Ministry now claims it fired a second hypersonic missile since the invasion began. With Ukrainian forces having fought Russian troops to a standstill in some areas, a show of force that Russia still holds the upper hand in firepower. With growing international pressure unable to stop the fighting, the Ukrainian government has now urged China to join Western countries in condemning what it calls Russian barbarism. Margaret? Charlie Daggett, thank you. The United Nations Human Rights Office today said that at least 902 civilians have been killed in Ukraine. That number is likely much higher. Joining us now is the Secretary of Defense, retired General Lloyd Austin, just back from a trip to Bulgaria and Slovakia both NATO allies. Welcome to Face the Nation. Good to have you here in person, sir. Thanks. You just heard the horrific reports of what's happening inside Mariupol. Uh, The AP is reporting a school that held hundreds of civilians was deliberately targeted. Can you confirm that? We've seen um, deliberate targeting of cities and towns uh, and civilians uh, throughout in the last uh, several weeks. And, uh, and again, I believe that he's uh, taking these kinds of steps because, as uh, was described earlier, his campaign is stalled. He's not been able to achieve the goals as rapidly that he wants to achieve as rapidly as he wants to achieve them. And so he's, uh, he's resorting to uh, tac- the t- types of tactics that we, we, we see on display every day. And again, uh, this, is, uh, this is really disgusting. But again, I, my, my hat's off to my hat off to the uh, uh, Ukrainian people who have fought valiantly and uh, and remain determined to defend their country. What you're describing are war crimes. Um, what has been described by one local leader in Mariupol is that there are residents being shipped to camps. Um, is Russia about to take that city, which would be a strategic victory? Hard to say. I mean, they've been, uh, we've seen significant effort on their part to uh, go after this city, go after Kyiv and other cities. Uh, They really want to uh, begin to control the population centers. Uh, But uh, they haven't taken it yet. And we've seen uh, in the past that the Ukrainians have counterattacked, that they've uh, they've used their initiative to to move things around on the battlefield. uh, And and they presented some significant problems for uh, for the Russians. 
Russia is also saying that it used a hypersonic missile at least twice in Ukraine so far. So this is a missile that travels, what, more than a mile a minute. It's very difficult to intercept. Is this weaponry game changer? I would not see it as a game changer. Uh, I think, uh, again, the reason that he's resorting to using these types of weapons is because he's trying to reestablish some momentum. Um, and we, again, we've seen him attack towns and cities and uh, civilians outright. Uh, we expect to see that continue. But I don't think that this in and of itself will be a game changer. Uh, you kind of question why he would, would do this. Is he running low on precision, precision guided munitions? Uh, does he have uh, like complete confidence in his ability to, uh, the, the ability of his troops uh, to reestablish momentum? But, uh, but I don't see this in and of itself a game changer. I cannot confirm or, or, or dispute whether or not he's used those weapons. Mm -hmm. Well, the U.S. assessment that is public is that uh, Russia's got approximately 90 percent of their assembled combat power. So if they've lost 10 percent of combat power in 25 days, can they still be effective? Well, it's, it, they're, they're not being effective today in terms of their, their maneuver forces on the ground. They're right. essentially stalled. Uh, and it's been it's had the effect of him uh, moving his forces into a wood chipper. You know, we, the, the Ukrainians have, be, have continued to attrit uh, his forces uh, and they, they've been very effective using the equipment that we provided them, you know, anti armor weapons uh, anti aircraft weapons. And again, significant resolve on the part of the of the Ukrainian people. One of the concerns is that if Vladimir Putin is cornered, that he would escalate to de-escalate, that he would go and use a weapon of mass destruction. Um, do you expect to hear more threats about nuclear weapons? Is that a real viable option for him? I would just say that any threat of the use of a nuclear weapon, any rhetoric concerning the use of a nu nuclear weapon is very dangerous. Uh, and, uh, and so I remain confident in our ability to defend ourselves and, and our capabilities. But again, I don't think that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, conversation, that kind of rhetoric is, is helpful. Mm -hmm. But you take it seriously. Absolutely. And, and I, again, I'm confident in our ability to uh, defend ourselves and defend our allies and partners as well. One other option for a weapon of mass destruction that the Biden administration has warned about is a chemical or biological weapon. Vladimir Putin gave this chilling speech earlier this week where he claimed the Pentagon was supporting biological programs at dozens of labs in Ukraine, which the Biden administration has just said. That's completely false information. China has repeated this as a talking point, though. Um, would using a weapon of mass destruction like this change the U.S. calculus? Is there a level of catastrophe here where the United States could not sit on the sidelines? I think if a chemical or biological weapon was used, you'd see a, a, a significant reaction from not only the United States, but also the global community. And again, I don't want to speculate about uh, what exactly would, would change our calculation. I think, I think uh, you know, engaging in hypotheticals is probably not helpful here either. But I think uh, this, is, uh, this is a very serious step. And as you heard our president say, uh, we, won't, we won't take that likely. Mm -hmm. And when Vladimir Putin talks about that, you think it becomes more likely? I think uh, what, what we've seen from uh, the Russians in the past is uh, their, uh, 
uh, raising issues uh, and, and creating a pretext so that if they did something in the battle space, uh, they could blame it on, uh, on somebody else, either Ukrainians or, or us, NATO. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, this could possibly, possibly be, be what, we, what we're seeing today. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken has said private mercenaries are being mobilized to move into Russia or to move into Ukraine by Russia. Are you seeing Russia send in reinforcements? We, we've heard them. Um, we've heard uh, uh, from a number of uh, sources that uh, this is, in fact, going on. We've not seen uh, mercenaries show up on the battlefield, to, to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. so. And no reinforcements yet from foreign sources? Uh, no. Uh, Moscow um, is blasting the United States for pouring in weapons. You, you talked about all the things that are game changers. You say the, the anti-tank, the stingers, the $800 million that the president authorized and the secretary of state signed off on. When does that equipment begin to arrive? And what makes the most difference in terms of what we are providing Ukraine? We've been uh, providing this type of equipment throughout. Uh, and uh, this enables us to provide more. In the last two weeks, we've provided uh, over $300 million worth of uh, equipment to, uh, to Ukraine. And uh, the $800 million that the, that the, the uh, president signed off on here just recently mm -hmm. brings a total to over two, $2 billion in terms of the, the amount of security force assistance that we've been providing uh, to Ukraine. Uh, I would remind you that uh, we've had trainers there since uh, 2014, along with some of our right. other allies. And uh, not only have we provided them equipment, but they were ready to use that equipment once we provided it. The equipment that the Ukrainians say they want are to help close the skies, essentially. These S-300 systems, the, the Russian-made systems that are in Eastern Europe right now, how quickly can you get that into the hands of the Ukrainians? If we, if we can get it in, if, if our allies or partners do have uh, this type of equipment Spocky available. they're ready to go. They, they are ready to go. And... and, and uh, and so what we'll do is we'll t continue to work with them and continue to work with other allies and partners uh, to not only uh, create the conditions to provide that kind of assistance, but also um, you know, work to ensure that they have the ability to, to protect their skies going forward as well. So. All right. We will watch your trip to Europe again. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time. Thanks. Face the Nation will be back in a minute. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Following their call on Friday, the White House said the President Biden had made it clear to President Xi what the consequences would be if China provides material support to Russia. Joining us now is China's ambassador to the United States, Qinggang. Mr. Ambassador, good to see you. Good morning to you. Good morning. 
So President Biden asked Beijing not to provide any kind of support to Russia. Is it your intent to go ahead and give a lifeline to Vladimir Putin? On Friday, President Xi Jinping and President Biden had a video call. It was candid, deep, and constructive. President Xi Jinping gave China's position very clear. That is, China stands for peace, opposes war. China is a peace-loving country. We hate to see the situation of Ukraine come to today's, you know, like this. And we call for immediate ceasefire. And we are promoting peace talks. And we are sending humanitarian assistance to... Will you send money and weapons to Russia, though? Well, there's a disinformation about China providing military assistance to Russia. We reject that. You won't do something, will not? What China is doing is send foods, medicine, sleeping bags, and baby formula. Not weapons and ammunition to any party. And we are against the war, as I said. You know, we will do everything to de-escalate the crisis. Russia's foreign minister said yesterday that Moscow and Beijing will only get closer because of what's happening. Is he right? Well, China and Russia has a trust relations. It was built over many years. It was built on many issues. You know, we have a, a long shared borders as long as yeah. over 4,000 kilometers. So and we have a lot of uh, common interests. Mm-hmm. And this trust relations with Russia gave us a unique position Indeed, in, that's uh, in the international efforts that's for exactly, peace talks. And that's know. exactly what the White House is saying, that you are in such a position of power yeah, here to pick up the phone and call Vladimir Putin. Has Xi Jinping, your president, told Vladimir Putin to stop the invasion? Do you condemn it? Actually, on the second day of uh, Russia's military operation, President Xi Jinping did talk to President Putin. Uh, Was that their last Asking phone call? President Putin to think about resuming peace talks with Ukraine. And President Putin listened to it. And we have seen four rounds of peace talks uh, mm-hmm. you know, have happened. Let me continue. You know, China's trusted relations with Russia is not and liability. Actually, it's an asset in the international efforts to solve uh, the crisis in a mm-hmm. peaceful way. You know. And China is part of the solution. It's not part of the problem. So if, if are you, you saying, though, just so we're clear, are you saying Beijing will not provide financial support to Moscow? to prolong this war. China has normal trade, economic, financial, energy cooperations with Russia. As I said just now... So it's not changing. You're not changing your relationship. This is a normal normal business 
between two sovereign countries you mentioned based on international order, uh, oh. laws, including WTO rules. And Let's you know, talk about those international laws, because four days ago, the International Court of Justice ordered Russia to stop its military actions. Mm -hmm. China abstained from that. The vote was 13 to 2. Mm -hmm. The only country that stood next to Russia was mm -hmm. China. Well, that sounds like you are condoning and not condemning. China makes its observation and conclusion based independently, based on the merits of the matter itself. On the one hand, the United Nations we Secretary uphold, General said we uphold, that Russia invaded. Yeah, we uphold. On the one hand, China upholds the uh, UN purposes and, uh, uh, and the principles, including that the respect for the national sovereignty and the territorial integrity of all countries, including Ukraine. Okay. On the other hand, mm -hmm. we do see uh, the, there is a complexity in the history of uh, the, the Ukraine issue. And would you be uh, we, would we, you be we are in the opinion. Russia amassed more than 150,000 troops at China's border? Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we want well, just to, be clear, to have a China, good, you would, good you would, friendly, good neighborly relations with Russia. But you would recognize what, it's what not is, good, friendly, neighborly relations with 150,000 troops on the border of a neighboring country and then to send those troops into that country. Well, in those circumstances, why can't you condemn this as an invasion? Mm -hmm. Well, let's don't be naive. Condemnation. It sounds naive to say that's not an invasion. It doesn't solve the problem. You know, I, I, I would be surprised if Russia will back down by condemnation. What is well, urgently Will they back needed? down if your president is, asks Vladimir Putin to back down? Will your yeah. president ask Vladimir Putin to back we down? We have done so. They rely And we will continue you. to promote peace talks and you know, urge uh, immediate fire. And, uh, you know, condemnation, you know, only doesn't help. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need courage. And we need good diplomacy. Well, Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky says he would like to meet with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Zelensky is in a bunker. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin is at a political mm -hmm. pro-war rally right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. You can't have diplomacy when it is one country, the only one country willing to actually negotiate. Mm -hmm. China has good relations with Russia, has good relations with Ukraine. And China keeps close communications with the United States and with Europe. Mm -hmm. They enable China to reach all parties' concerns in the crisis. The so China's unique role, you know, mm -hmm. can help the so peaceful tell settlement how, tell me of then, because uh, the crisis. I keep hearing you say that. I want to understand how China is helping. If you are not condemning, if you are not cutting off Vladimir Putin mm -hmm. from continuing this war, mm -hmm. this war that is roiling the entire mm -hmm. global economy, mm -hmm. sending food prices and energy price, mm -hmm. prices spiking, mm -hmm. China wants stability. Mm -hmm. but we, Why not cut off Vladimir we, Putin? We have already made it very clear that, you know, 
national sovereignty and territorial integrity of all countries, including Ukraine, should be respected and protected. But as I said, okay. condemnation only cannot work. What we need is good diplomacy based on vision, wisdom, and the courage. And I looking ahead, the enduring approach to the security issue in Europe. I want to talk it's to you about one quick thing before, before we run out of time. You talked about how important the UN is and what respect you have for it. Mm -hmm. So a UN human rights panel said there are credible reports that a million Uyghurs are in a massive internment camp shrouded in secrecy. Mm -hmm. And the High Commissioner for Refugees and Human Rights will go to China soon. Will you give them unlimited access? I totally reject that. Yes, you will give There's access no or no, such you won't a, give access? such a, a, a so-called human rights violation uh, in Xinjiang so against Russia. So, well, we are in talks with uh, the human rights uh, special commissioner of mm -hmm. the, uh, and uh, okay. I, as far as I, I understand, right. there's an agreement. Go. All right. Thank you very much, Ambassador. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, who joins us from Louisville, Kentucky this morning. Good morning to you, sir. Welcome to Face the Nation. Good morning. President Biden heads to Europe this week to meet with NATO allies. Um, you helped give him about 13 billion in urgent support, uh, along with the rest of Congress. What do you expect the president to deliver this week? Well, we've given him plenty of money. Uh, I think he needs to step up his game. He's generally done the right thing, but never soon enough. I mean, let's take a look at what's happened here. The Ukrainians have killed more Russians in three weeks than we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq in 20 years. I think we ought to go into this believing the Ukrainians can actually win. And the way they win is for us to get these defensive weapon systems to them as rapidly as possible. Uh, for example, I am perplexed as to why we couldn't get the Polish-Russian uh, MiGs uh, into the country. Uh, the Ukrainians have plenty of pilots and know how to fly them. Mm -hmm. uh, in those Eastern Bloc countries, they have Soviet uh, uh, ground-to-air systems that the Ukrainians know how to work. We have the resources we've give given to the president to get those weapons in there as rapidly as possible. Right. And then we provided loan guarantees to the countries that ship the weapons into Ukraine to purchase new weapons and probably better weapons uh, from us. So what I'd like to see the president do is to reassure our Eastern Bloc uh, allies. It's fine to go to Brussels, fine to go to Berlin. I'd like to see him go to Romania or Poland mm -hmm. or to the Baltics. They're right on the front lines right. and need to know that we're in this fight with them to win. Uh, there aren't a lot of policy differences here, really. Other, I mean, you agree with the president that there should not be a no-fly zone. Um, there's a matter of a, a few dozen MiG fighter jets there. But I don't hear a lot of policy differences from Republicans. Um, in your view, does the $13 billion that you all just authorized uh, ensure the funding of a Ukrainian insurgency if the government were to fall? Like, how long does this money last for? Well, if they need more, we ought to give them more. Um, look, w this is a way to have a no-fly zone, in effect, to have these weapon systems 
ground-to-air weapon systems give them a, ch a fighting chance to control the air to shoot down uh, uh, planes and others that are seeking to control the air right. without the U.S. having a no-fly zone that has our own pilots in there. So I, I think the weapon systems are available. Look, I think we need to change our attitude here. The Ukrainians can actually win this thing, mm -hmm. and that's the attitude we ought to have, that we're in it to help them win. Um, you are very clear uh, in your language there, but others in your party have not been. Um, Congresswoman Liz Cheney has said there's actually a Putin wing of the Republican Party these days. I think she's referring to Congressman Cawthorn, who called Zelensky a thug. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said the U.S. should not fund a war the Ukrainians cannot possibly win. Is there any room in the Republican Party for this rhetoric, and why isn't there more discipline? Uh, well, there's some lonely voices out there that are in a different place. Uh, but uh, looking at Senate Republicans, I can tell you that I would have, had I been the majority leader, put this Ukraine supplemental up by itself. I think virtually every one of my members would have voted for it. Uh, the vast majority of the Republican Party, writ large, both in the Congress and across the country, are totally behind the Ukrainians and urging the president to do, uh, take these steps quicker, yeah. to be bolder. So uh, there may be a few lonely voices off the side. I wouldn't pay much attention to them. I want to ask you about what is about to get underway uh, this week. Um, you've said President Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court, Judge Brown Jackson, is very intelligent, clearly qualified, and highly likely to be confirmed. You personally have voted against her before. Uh, are you inclined to vote for her this time? You know, we had a very good conversation in my office. Um, and I asked her, you know, typically these Supreme Court nominees of, of both parties have never answered any of the questions. What they typically say is that's something that might come before me and I don't want to prejudge how I might right. actually vote. But I asked her to defend the court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Breyer both publicly opposed court packing. That is mm -hmm. trying to increase the number of court, uh, court members in order to get an outcome you like. That would have been an easy thing for her to do to defend the integrity of the mm -hmm. court. Uh, she wouldn't do that. Yeah. So in the meantime, um, the com committee will ask her all the tough questions. I haven't made a final decision as to how I'm going to vote. You haven't made a final decision, but you're open to be persuaded. I mean, this is a historic nominee. I'm going to listen to the evidence. I'm going to listen to the hearings. And by the way, she'll be treated much better than Democrats have typically treated Republican nominees like Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh. It'll be a respectful, uh, deep dive into her record, which I think is entirely appropriate for a lifetime appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are open to voting for her then. Okay. We'll see. I, I, I'm willing to listen to the testimony. That's why we have hearings. Okay. Um, I want to ask you as well about COVID aid. Uh, Dr. Fauci on another network this morning said Congress needs to authorize spending to continue to build up our supply of antivirals of tests and give the ability to provide booster shots. Um, Republicans haven't been on board with this idea of more COVID aid. Dr. Fauci says we need it. Are you afraid of an empty arsenal? Well, last year, the uh, Congress passed a $2 trillion uh, 
package allegedly for uh, COVID and um, passed on an entirely uh, partisan uh, basis. Much of that money is yet to be spent. Uh, we're l willing to listen to the case that we need to spend more money on COVID, mm -hmm. but they ought to reprogram some of this massive amount that was spent last year that's not out the door yet. Yep. So let's take a look at how to pay for it, and then we'll okay. be happy to, uh, to decide whether or not to support it. Minority Leader McConnell, thank you very much for your time today. We'll be right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We turn now once again to Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markarova. Madam Ambassador, thank you for coming back. I want to ask you about these horrific reports out of Mariupol. Um, a local government official there said that the Russian military is moving people into camps and moving them out of the country. Do you have any insight into what is happening on the ground? We're hearing all these horrific reports about uh, targeting the school, the art school with 400 people uh, hiding in the basement, about, you know, retirement uh, home in Kremine in elsewhere, where more than 50 people died from, from shelling. Uh, and what happens in Mariupol is, is an epitome of war crime. I mean, encircled city without food, without anything for 13 days, 14 nowadays, uh, putting a resistance. And instead of simply opening a humanitarian corridors, as we agreed, and letting people out and letting supplies in, Russians are just trying to take the city down. So, um, and, and people in the city continues to fight. So all of our hearts goes to them, and we're trying to do everything possible on diplomatic front and elsewhere to, to help the people of Mariupol. Does the government have any idea exactly where these people are being moved? I mean, the, the reference to camps was compared to World War II when Nazis forcibly moved people into other countries. Well, we, we saw it in, again, I don't want to, to say any information that we don't have the exact proof. I mean, right. we hear all the reports and have it. But we saw it also in the cities, uh, smaller cities that were taken or occupied by Russians, where they would let people outside of the prison. They would try to uh, either, either catch our mayors and imprison them, catch the activists and imprison them. So that's an MO of this war criminals. And we see the protest in all the cities, you know, even in the cities like we, on a daily basis today in Kherson and others, people are coming out with protest against Russians, not only the armed forces, not only the uh, police, but ordinary people. Everyone want them to go, to go home. This week, your president made an emotional and speech to Congress. Um, Congress authorized $13 billion in emergency support to Ukraine. But one of the things your president said uh, was a personal appeal to President Biden to be leader of the nation, of this great nation, but also to be leader of the world. President Biden goes to NATO this week. How do you want him to lead the world? What is the U.S. not doing still? 
Well, we've seen exceptional leadership from the U.S. during the past uh, three weeks and uh, deterring Putin before the war, uh, trying and helping us a lot during the first weeks of, of, of this war. Now we all have to understand that even though we all are united in this effort in, in helping Ukraine, Putin is not changing his behavior. It's quite different. He's actually turning to, uh, to terror and doing what uh, the war criminals do, not, not what the armed forces are doing. So it's a clear message to all the civilized world that we have to step up too. Ukrainians will not give up. We will continue defending our homes. We don't have any other choice. And I think it's, it's, it's time that every passing day is a, is a chance to stop this war. And every passing day, we have to be discussing all of us together, the civilized world, the United States, NATO countries, but also others like China, discuss what is, what is more we can do to stop it. Ukraine's constitution references joining NATO, but your president has said um, even just a few days ago that Ukrainians must admit the West has indicated Ukraine won't be a member of NATO. Is he signaling room for more of a diplomatic opening there? I just keep hearing that the diplomacy goes nowhere. Well, look, let, let me be very undiplomatic here. So um, when murderous maniac catches somebody or attacks somebody on the streets of, of the city, do we ask a person, a, a victim, you know, what is it you're ready to give up? Leg, arm to stay alive? What is it that you're ready to, to give up in order to, to be alive? No, we call the police, we stop this, and then we discuss what can we do to punish the criminal and help the victim. So I think this is, this is where we are right now. We are fighting heroically our armed forces and people to defend our home. Now, of course, from the day one, our president said, we would like this to stop, we are ready to negotiate. Negotiate does not mean to surrender. We are not ready to give up on either our uh, dreams or on the territorial sovereignty or integrity. But we are ready to negotiate, even with the brutal enemy, in order to stop it. And we are asking all of our friends and allies to help us to, A, fight successfully, but also to put all the pressure so that Russia negotiates. Secretary of State Blinken said this week that a simple withdrawal of troops by Russia won't meet the U.S. standard for lifting sanctions. Something more irreversible needs to have happen here. What is he laying out here? What is the Ukrainian vision? Well, I will, I will uh, let Secretary uh, Blinken to, to, to say what he said. But for us, clearly, I mean, it's, it's a brutal attack. We've lost people. Uh, many of our cities are destroyed and still are being destroyed. We've lost 60 universities completely. I mean, they are erased from there. So we need this to stop. They need to stop and get out from, 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 from Ukraine. But we also need to be talking about... Uh, reparations, about the security guarantees and everything else. Mm -hmm. We need to know that this attack, which I want to remind, is not the first attack. Russia right. attacked us in 2014. Mm -hmm. Russia attacked us in 1918. So we know that the, the goal that Russia has in this now, as it used to have in the past, is yeah. to destroy Ukraine. Ambassador, thank you for your time. As always, we'll be back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We turn now to another issue of increasing concern, that of the rising number of COVID cases, particularly in China and Europe. Our Liz Palmer reports from London. Hong Kong is building vast isolation hospitals to house COVID patients. It's shut down businesses, beaches and public transport, but even so currently has the highest COVID mortality rate on earth due largely to unvaccinated old people. Right next door, mainland China is fighting to stave off disaster. It kept COVID largely at bay for more than two years, with draconian lockdowns, electronic monitoring, and mandatory testing. But now, Omicron has taken hold. China has just reported its first deaths in more than a year, along with almost 2,000 new cases. 37 million Chinese are currently under lockdown. And about 50% of people over 80, 17 million of them, have not been fully vaccinated. Europe, too, has seen a surge in infections. The week Britain dropped all COVID restrictions, even tests for arriving travellers, UK hospital wards began to fill up. We're starting to see a, an increase in our patients who need to be admitted and treated for um, coronavirus. The good news is the death rate hasn't gone up and the surge does seem to have peaked. And finally, heroism in Kharkiv, Ukraine, where in spite of the war, doctors kept on treating their COVID patients and set up a bomb shelter in the basement just in case. It's now just over two years since the WHO declared COVID a pandemic. And this week they reminded us that in their estimation, we're only about halfway through. Margaret? Elizabeth Palmer in London. Thank you. We're joined now by former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's also a Pfizer board member, and he joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you, doctor. I, I even tripped up on your name. My goodness, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. And now I just need to get your perspective on, on what BA2, this new variant, means. Um, should we be concerned about a, a wave? Well, look, I don't think we're going to see a big wave of infection, but we're going to see some uptick from where we are right now. Right now, we're at very low levels of infection. We have nine cases per 100,000 people per day. Those are levels that we haven't seen since last June. There are about 20,000 people currently hospitalized. And I think we're going to continue to see low levels of infection through the summer. But before we get there, we're probably going to see some tick up of infection like the Europeans are seeing right now, maybe not as pronounced. And there are indications that the UK is already peaking, but some increase in infections. And that's a result of BA2, which is 
is probably 30 to 50 percent more transmissible than the way, than the Omicron variant that became prevalent here, as well as the lifting of mitigation. People are going out more, they're interacting more, and some declining immunity from people who were boosted a long time ago or infected a long time ago. We're relying on that immunity, and that immunity isn't as pronounced right now. So we are going to see an increase in infection. I think this is going to be a real test of whether or not we're able to live some semblance of normalcy and not reach back to the kind of mitigation that we relied on in the past. And I don't think we'll be doing that while still protecting the vulnerable. And so far right now, I don't know that we're taking all the steps we need to be taking to protect vulnerable people to weather this bump and potentially another surge heading into next fall. You said if you were vaccinated a long time ago, uh, Mr. Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, was on this program last week and said immunity starts to wane four months after your injection. A lot of us are right there right now. How long do we wait to get a booster? Uh, you know, another dose hasn't been authorized for wide use yet. Yeah, look, the data that's coming out shows that the protection from the vaccine, particularly three doses of the vaccine, but even two doses of the vaccine, is substantial and durable if you're talking about protection against severe disease and hospitalization. And there's been some recent studies really supporting this. But in terms of protection from symptomatic disease and from infection, that does start to wane more immediately because that's dependent upon circulating antibodies, which after a period of time start to decline and aren't as prominent in your blood. I think this is really a six-month vaccine in terms of providing really meaningful protection against symptomatic disease and infection. And this is likely to become an annualized vaccine for the majority of Americans. I think for those who are vulnerable, uh, you should think about getting a shot every six months while we're in a high prevalent environment. And in fact, the shots are authorized for that use. For people who are immunocompromised, there is authorization right now for a fourth booster. Pfizer has a, uh, applied for a booster for people 65 and over Moderna more widely. Um, so do generally healthy adults need to get this, too, or just the immunocompromised? Yeah, I think it also depends on what the environment is. If we're in a low prevalent environment, as we're likely to be this summer, uh, I think most Americans who had three doses of vaccine will have sufficient protection going through the summer. We don't, after all, get a flu vaccine in the summertime, even though the flu vaccine only affords about six months of protection because the flu season only lasts about six months through the fall and the winter. So you don't worry about contracting a respiratory pathogen in the summertime. And I think the risk is going to be pretty low this summer. I think after we have this bump in infection, we're going to get down to low levels. Heading into the fall, I suspect a lot of Americans will want to get another vaccine. You know, some people are going to call it a fourth booster. I think it's heading towards uh, this vaccine becoming an annualized vaccine, at least for the foreseeable future, until we really understand the epidemiology of this disease and understand whether this coronavirus starts to recede into the background, like the four circulating strains of coronavirus that we've become accustomed to have. But, I mean, you've talked about this for so long, that the risk of becoming this bifurcated society where it's those who can go out and those who are compromised or worried about infecting family members. I have small children under five who are not vaccinated, so I would put myself in that category. Um, but now there's, this, there's a cost because all the health restrictions are out. So you are choosing to isolate yourself if you are taking health restrictions. What is a health like the average person, what should they do? Should they still be wearing masks? 
Look, I think if you're vulnerable, if you're someone who's very vulnerable to this infection in a high prevalent envi prevalence environment or in an environment, if you're going into a setting that's high risk, a confined space indoors, there are things you can do to protect yourself in that setting. One way masking does work, even if everyone else isn't wearing a mask. If you're wearing a high quality mask, you're going to get a good degree of protection from that. And a lot of people continue to wear masks. There's also a lot of therapeutics available now, more than we had better tools okay. than we had earlier in this pandemic. I think understanding how you can get access to those is important. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you for your time today. We'll be right back. Images from the war in Ukraine continue to dominate hearts and minds around the world. One that's gotten increasingly familiar is that of the defiant and besieged president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, encouraging Ukrainians, lobbying for help, and pleading with Putin to stop. Last week, Zelensky took his message to Canada, to the U.S. Congress, and plans to address the people of Israel today. Saturday, he spoke to Switzerland, a country that stayed neutral in World War II, but was one of the first to condemn the Russian invasion and express support for Ukraine. Translated in English, he said, it is impossible to stay away from the fact that in the 21st century, in the heart of Europe, hundreds of rockets and bombs are flying at peaceful cities. It is impossible to stay away when the army of the world's largest state, albeit only in size, directs all its deadly potential to destroy us, to destroy hospitals, ordinary schools, churches, universities, maternity hospitals, residential areas. It is impossible to be indifferent when children are killed. The role of a journalist is to find facts and report the truth and, above all, stay fair and neutral. But much like Switzerland, we find ourselves agreeing with Volodymyr Zelensky that some facts are so horrific that equivalency is both false and morally wrong. Above all else, it is most important to be truthful. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. Today's guests were Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Chinese Ambassador to the U.S. Chin Dong, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell, Ukraine's Ambassador to the United States Oksana Markarova, and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.